He was the doyen of TV crime drama scriptwriters in the 1970s and 1980s, including creating the legendary ITV series based on Scotland Yard's flying squad, The Sweeney, starring John Thor in the lead role of Detective Inspector Jack Regan and Dennis Waterman as his partner, Detective Sergeant George Carter. His other notable primetime crime dramas included the BBC's Juliet Bravo and the Chinese Detective. Today, in this special Mail Plus True Crime podcast, my guest is acclaimed TV scriptwriter Ian Kennedy Martin. Welcome to the uh, True Crime Podcast, Ian. The Sweeney was one of my favourite programmes in the 70s. How did it come about? How did the Sweeney, and particularly the character Jack Regan, come about? Because you've been a TV scriptwriter for some time. How did this start? We had in a very close relationship, John Thor and I, after the making of Red Cap, where I was responsible for the scripts, and he was the lead actor. And uh, we became very close friends. And after the Red Cap, there was a bit of a, a pause in, in John's career. Anyhow, I wrote a few things for John Thor. I wrote a six-part series and various other things to keep him happy and uh, in money. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I knew this copper, and he was very much affected by Commander Marks arriving in, in Scotland Yard, this new head. That was the character, um, a, a bit of copper. So this officer, real-life officer, was the inspiration for the character which John Thor played, which is D.I. Yes, uh, Jack that's Regan. right. So I, mean, I just wondered how much research you did, and, and it was, as you say, the commissioner was Robert Mark, in yeah. the mid-70s, he came in with an anti-corruption agenda, didn't he? Upset people, both corrupt and non-corrupt. Yeah. Please tell me more about this officer who inspired the character of Jack Regan. Was he actually in yeah. the flying squad? He was flying squad, and his name was Dave Wilson. What, what rank was Dave Wilson? Do you remember? He was uh, a detective sergeant, I think. Detective yeah. sergeant, so one rank below uh, D.I. Regan in the Sweden. Yeah. I mean, without... You know, it doesn't make him a bad person, but was he someone who drank, who you know enjoyed the company of women, shall we say, and lived on the edge as a policeman? I'm, I'm not going to talk about Dave's lifestyle, but uh, I mean, he certainly could describe in detail John's lifestyle. You know, he knew enough Johns around the force um, to be able to say, well, he would have done that or he would have done this, you know, in those circumstances. He knew his friends, his copper friends. You know, there was a bit of Dave in D.I. Regan, but a bit of other officers as well. So it was like an, uh, an amalgamation. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. He was very helpful in that way. He enjoyed it, I think. Because he, he was a maverick, wasn't he? He was a real maverick character. Yeah, that's absolutely it. He was a maverick. He did what he wanted to. He would go out on a raid 
arms without checking in his gun. You know, you're supposed to write down the code of your gun. And uh, he, he liked the ladies, you know, and he loathed his wife. And he didn't like corruption. He didn't like this money being passed around the place and people winking and nodding and winking. So um, he was quite a, a, a Puritan. A heavy drinker, not in the police culture, I might say, given my own experience of detectives over the years. Quite considerable experience. We won't go into that. Um, yeah. But he, he drank. Yeah, he liked women. But he had a moral compass as well, didn't he? That's, that's the point, isn't he? Because he, 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 didn't, he didn't cross the line. No, he was a very complex character, as was John Thorne, you know? But the actual styling of the characters, for example, I mean, D.I. Regan was known as Governor, wasn't he? The Governor, or, or Gov, Gov yeah. just Gov. Yeah. The car as well, I mean, iconic. It was a Ford Consul Mark One, three-litre. I mean, some of those scenes uh, involving car chases. Make a name for yourself. Pure cocks and robbers, weren't they? It must have been really yeah. fun to write and to film. Yeah, the story is the costs always, you know. I mean, you'll notice nowadays there's an awful lot, an awful lot of Land Rovers and a lot of expensive motor cars. Mm. Now, you know, those those Fords that were chasing around mm. would cost nothing to buy, you know. In those days, you know, 800 quid. Did a few get written off during filming? Or? Oh, yes, absolutely. And they had a garage which fixed them up. So they'd have three or four Ford consoles or whatever they were, and they'd get banged about a bit in these car chases. And then they would be taken on a truck back to base, and they would be repaired for the next time out, you know. So you wrote off cars. I mean, did John Thor have a double for any stunts he had to be done? I don't think he had a double. Dennis Waterman had been a boxer at one point, mm -hmm. uh, and his brother was a well-known boxer. Yeah. Um, they, they, they enjoyed a bit of rough and tumble, I'm sure. I mean, there were some yeah. pretty illustrious actors and actresses who appeared in the Sweeney over the years as guest stars. I'm looking here, jo yes. Joss Ackland, Linda Bellingham, George Cole, Diana Dawes, Arthur English. I mean, this is, this is obviously pure nostalgia here. Uh, Patrick yeah, Moa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's still with us, Patrick Moa, and looking good for it. Jeffrey Palmer, Colin Welland. I mean, there's some amazing cast in there. And I, and I imagine, I mean, it's such a different era. You wouldn't have had a health and safety advisor on set would you when you were doing those uh, well, car chases no you, you didn't certainly have... wouldn't there might be a health and safety advisor towards the end who would turn up and be uh, quietly showing the door because uh, i was at one uh, episode where they were blowing up a car you know but it was all to be faked but it didn't turn out that way the very car went up 20 feet in the air and fell against a wooden fence. <laughs> Did you have any idea when you were writing or creating The Sweeney that it had become such an iconic TV series? No idea at all. None at all. And I was much keener on 
things like the Chinese detective. I thought that was well written, well produced. We'll come on to that in a second. But but with the Sweeney, what was the reaction from the top brass in the Met? Do you remember? The top brass at the Met, when the Sweeney started, loathed it. And then when they found out that it was actually helping their recruitment numbers, they suddenly fell in love with it. And it was important because, you know, you can't shoot a fast-action movie in London without police permission. So they knew we were good for them and not a source of worry. Interesting you should just say that it helped recruitment. I mean, I've met a number of officers over the years who openly admit that they were inspired to join the Met because they loved the character Jack Regan, D.I. Regan. So that was true. So people came forward to apply to join the Met because of this primetime crime drama. Right. Well, there we go. I certainly didn't write it with that point of view. And certainly Troy, Trevor and various other people didn't didn't write it with that point of view because they were definitely committed leftists, you know. I mean, Troy was very keen on his politics. Did John Thor enjoy playing D.I. Regan? Because he obviously went on to play the key role in Inspector Morse, didn't he? Which was a, a huge success. Yeah. I think the basic thing at the end was a story that he and Dennis Waterman got together and decided they'd done everything they could on the Sweeney and it would be no good going on. It would be, you know, it'd be wrong to continue. And actually, you know, I know why they stopped, or I know why John stopped. He wasn't making enough money. Because he moved from that job, where he wasn't making enough money, to the Midlands place, where he suddenly was earning a million pounds a year. On Morse. Sounds like a football transfer. Uh, it was exactly a football transfer. There was a little man running up and down the corridor in the central saying, don't lose him, don't lose him. He's our crown jewels. <laughs> uh, they'd, nicked him, they'd nicked him. So the central had, had nicked John Thor off, off London. Before the Sweeney, I mean, Zed Cars, which your brother was involved in, Troy was involved in, was a big yeah. was a big hit, but it wasn't anything as edgy as the Sweeney. And, of course, before Zed Cars was Dixon of Doc Green. Two days after he came out of prison, he was killed by a hit-and-run driver in a street in Paris. An accident, perhaps. Or maybe some of his friends thought he'd gone too far for once. Good night, all. Very dated now, but a part, part of our TV history, aren't they? Dixon they and Doc are. Green. It was just um, what they were coming out with, you know, that Dixon was whiter than white and uh, good for you. Watch him every week. You'll learn how to be uh, an honest, worthwhile citizen. And there are no black people in it. <laughs> so, you know, there was just too much of um, 
with a sort of sports coat BBC in it, you know. So it, it didn't right. tackle the issues of racism and, and corruption, no, no, nothing no. like that at would, all, you know, uh, which would have been prevalent it. at the time, but it wasn't something which Dixon and Doc Green had to address. Well, I think it was there, but they just didn't want to address it. I think the racism was there. It's under the, um, under the blanket. It's not happening. Again, I mean, Zed Cars, I was watching, started watching an episode of that the other night in, in advance of this podcast, and it's a very yeah. bland compared to the Sweeney. But again, a big rating success, even though some of the storylines were pretty bizarre, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the bizarre storylines were in Jury Bravo, where we had a little boy who steals a car, drives all over the place, an old widow who loses her best friend and decides to take one last walk that they used to do when they were young, up a mountain, you know, and she ends up on top of the mountain, dying of cold, of course. You can find these stories if you look for them. I mean, with Juliet Bravo, I looked for them. Juliet Bravo, I remember, it was launched in 1980, a woman inspector in charge of a police station. I mean, that was groundbreaking stuff at the time because it, you know diversity really, in the police wasn't a big thing then, to put it mildly. Yeah, but it was for absolute real. She was absolutely real. So it's based on a, on a true character? It was based on an absolutely true character. And we knew her for years afterwards. She sort of, she's turned a couple of times hmm. saying, you know, can't we get it started again? Can you remember how Juliet Bravo came about? Because you say it's based on a real character. What gave you the idea and how easy was it to get a commission from the BBC for this primetime well, drama? Uh, well, I know the commission came via the BBC um, from um, a lovely story editor called Joan Clark, who had heard, I think, that, um, that LWT were doing a woman detective series set in London. Of course, this was, they hadn't got onto it yet. They were still fiddling around with it, which we found out. And he said, why don't we have a woman detective? And I said, I'll look at it uh, up in Lancashire again. So the real, right. the real inspector is called Wynne Darwin. That was the inspiration for the, for the fictional character, Jean Darblay. Yeah. yeah, everything about her was... Uh, she was uh, terrific. I mean, wonderfully tough and yet very mellow. And she had all these stories. I imagine that, that sexism was rife in the police back in the early 80s. Oh, it was, yeah. Well, a lot of things were wrong in the police back in the early 80s. But, well, somehow they survived. After Juliet Bravo, which was a rating success, had several series, you also wrote The Chinese Detective, which was a, a novel programme as well, groundbreaking yeah. crime drama at yeah. the time. How, how did that come about? Because once again, I think you had the idea for that from a real-life policeman, didn't you? Well, it's a, the, the story, if I can tell it very quickly, Yes, we had, Barbara and I had this Chinese friend, 
lovely girl who had this dreadful experience. She was from Liverpool. She came from a large family. The father was uh, Chinese and the mother was Liverpudlian. And the father had a restaurant, Chinese restaurant, and he had to hand over a packet of money to two local cots. Then eventually his business went bust, but the cots still kept calling and expecting to receive their money. And when they didn't, they came one day and banged on the door and came in and put little packets of, of drugs around this girl's house. And of course, then they came uh, a few hours later and discovered these packets of drugs. The father was arrested and went to jail and the daughters were just absolutely, you know, these were, they were convent school children and they were absolutely destroyed by this terrible, terrible business. So when I heard this story, I thought, we can do this, you know, six or eight part series. And that's what I did. And um, it was a you know, pleasure to write something which was absolutely real. In the end, in my version, the two detectives get arrested, or one of them does, but um, at least the story was told. The Chinese detective, for those who may not be familiar with it, is a long time ago now, 40 years ago or so. Uh, yeah. The actor, Chinese actor David Yip played the part of Detective Sergeant John Ho. A bit like Regan, D.S. Ho was a maverick who used unorthodox methods to solve crimes in and around London. Well, that was a rating success as well, wasn't it? I remember watching that as yes, a kid. Yes, it was, but it was just... Uh... I can tell you the story. I think we'd just about gone on the air when there was a crisis at the BBC. They had two people who were going to take over BBC One, and both of them were disliked within the BBC. And so when they did the BBC, they gave the job to neither of them, but passed the job on to this guy who... Well, I shouldn't go into the details, but he was useless. And, uh, and what he he saw the Chinese detective, and he thought that this was not the sort of stuff that he wanted on BBC One. Oh, really? So that was the end of that. So you're saying yeah. it, it stopped as a result of this executive yeah. not rating it? Yeah. Oh, I see. So in your opinion, it, it was taken off air before its time? Yeah. It was an important programme, I remember it. I just wanted to ask you, you know, since then, I mean, the, the true crime, no, sorry, the crime drama genre, I should say, has, has really taken off, hasn't it? And it really uh, has, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just wonder what your views were, for example, on Life on Mars. Gene Hunt, your DCI, and it's 1973, almost dinner time. I'm having oops. Were you a fan of Life on Mars? I was perfectly happy with uh, the fact that it was basically stolen from <laughs> from me. And I did manage to tell them that uh, I was very happy that they had nicked my series. Um, 
and they were pleased to hear that. Well, you thought they produced no, the programme. You, th- you think Gene Hunt was modelled on, on D.I. Regan? Yes, yes, to a degree, yeah, yeah. But um, I thought it was well done, yeah. And, of course, you have now... I was only watching this past week, really, the recreation, dramatisation of the Jeremy Bamber murders, White House Farm. Very well made, but there are so many of these true crimes which are now being dramatised, yeah. both the Bamber murders and of Dennis Nilsson as well, yeah. uh, Des, which is a box office or a rating success for ITV recently. How do you view well, that? Well, I, I don't think that this is the sort of thing that you should make the Nielsen story. I really don't think so. I think you should uh, stick to stories, yes, maybe vaguely connected to a real story, which, you know, but Nielsen, I don't think, is... Uh, well, why is that? Is it just because it's too horrific, gratuitous, it's, or glamorises crime? What, what is it that it concerns glamour, you? It, it's easy to do, first of all, and it glamorises that kind of... Uh, Television will make this thing about a guy who stuck people down a, down a sewer. That's I right. mean, I, mm. just, I just don't think we need this. You know, you can, you know, if you look at uh, French television, they don't do this, and yet they do make some remarkable stuff. In 2012, there was a, yeah. a film made about the Sweeney, Ray Winston, oh, playing DM Ray. What, yeah. what, uh, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen it, but not to, had favourable ratings. We're the Sweeney. We're cops. I'm robbery in progress. But we do things our way. I had absolutely nothing to do whatsoever. And the idea of casting Ray Winston as a John Thorpe-type character was just ludicrous, you know. Of course, it is your opinion, and as the creator of the scene, you're entitled to it more than anyone, probably. So, I mean, I just wondered, you know, as we wrap things up, whether ITV could make a series, a modern-day version of the Sweeney. I mean, could D.I. Regan fit in at the Met now? I mean, I can't imagine D.I. Regan going for a herbal tea with an informant, <laughs> you know, because he wouldn't be able to, allowed to drink on duty now. <laughs> That's a very nice scene. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'll use it. Herbal <laughs> tea with an informant is a very good scene. Yeah. Joking yeah. aside, I mean, Regan no, couldn't couldn't survive I mean, a day in the Met the now, pro- could he? I mean, that that legendary line he says in one of his. Uh, Get your ra- on. Good Get- neck to say it. That's the one. Yeah, was that was that one of yours or one of your? Yes. That was your line. Get your trousers on. You're nicked. Yeah, other people will claim it, but that's one of mine. I can't imagine the head of the flying squad now, let alone the head of the Met, Cresta Dick, saying, get your trousers on, you're nicked. And I think Cresta <laughs> Dick was head of the flying squad at one stage. Yeah. What would you the like to see happen? Because it's a great brand, isn't it, the Sweeney? Could it, could it be brought back to life? It could be, but you're screwed by this... Um company that now own the television rights. Fremantle does not want to, I don't think they want to make another one uh, while this one is still being shown, you know? But if you if you were asked, let's say, you know, you go back 20 or 30 years and you were asked to do a new version of the Sweeney if you're a younger man and, and uh, had more time, how would you adapt the Sweeney yeah. for today? 
No, I mean, there's plenty of stories out there. There are always stories. The thing is to be very careful of the humor because John and Singley Bob together were very funny. And, you know, I, in that um, dreadful film, they're always uh, sort of fooling around doing things. And it's not like that. I mean, the humor is is sour and it's, you know, it's tough. And you don't need jokes in the Sweeney. What was your favourite episode, your favourite storyline personally, uh, Ian? Well, there was one written by my brother uh, about John. He was in a pub and, which was being raided <laughs> and he was with a girlfriend. And I mean, this is what I mean by humour. He falls asleep while a lot of action is going on next door with this murderous gang. And meanwhile, she's taken his gun because he got soaked in the rain when he was climbing over a roof. And she's taken his gun and she's put it in the dishwasher to clean it. <laughs> and there's some lovely touches like that. I, I remember that episode. I remember. It was lovely. Yeah. I need to ask you very briefly. Yeah. You, distinguished scriptwriter, and Troy, I was reading yeah. the other day, wrote the screenplay for the Italian job. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. It's now come out. What happened was I wrote a script, like one of my first scripts, and sent it to the BBC, and they liked it, but they thought it was very expensive to make. It was about a robbery using the traffic lights, which had just been turned over to uh, computers down Oxford Street, all right? Mm -hmm. And they were going to rob something in Oxford Street or a bank and that. Mm. And Troy saw this, and he was hunting around for a film, and he said, I'll buy it off you. So your so, brother brought the script off you, or the idea? Yes, he did. I, I hope you got a good I commission. Kept, so I kept this absolutely quiet for 40 years because <laughs> he paid me and the deal was I wasn't going to talk about it. Uh, ah. any, anyhow. You're in your mid-80s now, sounding very good for it, uh, Ian. Is that, is that a regret of your life? You didn't keep that one to yourself? No, I, I, I was very happy to let Troy have it. I didn't want to write scripts, film scripts. You know, I spent a little time in Los Angeles. I loathed the place. And I certainly wasn't going to be part of the film industry. Troy spent a fair amount of time in Los Angeles. He loved the place. He loved the girls and the sun and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't stand it. So, um, you know, he was welcome. Thank you very much for joining me on this Mail Plus True Crime podcast. Absolute honour to have you on and uh, to hear about how the Sweeney came about. And also your involvement in the Italian job. I didn't know that either. <laughs> You've been listening to a Mail Plus true crime interview with Ian Kennedy Martin. 
creator of the Sweeney, with me, Stephen Wright.